So I'd like to read to you this morning, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll read from verses 1 to 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our, your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but, as, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Well, there's an old Chinese proverb that goes like this. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. Today I'd like to talk to you about a topic that I honestly never thought I would talk about at Church in the Park, the topic of giving. Now, before you shut me off and say, well, I knew that was coming, hold on to your wallets, I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm not really even talking about giving financially to anyone. So why would I talk about giving or a giving lifestyle at Church in the Park where I knew that there'd be a lot of new people, visitors joining us? Honestly, I, I was a little bit you know, nervous about doing that because the last thing I would want is, is for someone to come and think that we're just kind of trying to build our own name and, and encourage people just to give to us. That's not what it's about. So if you're here today, there's no obligation to give whatsoever. This isn't about raising money for the church, not at all. The reason I thought it was important to talk about a giving lifestyle is because research actually shows that a giving lifestyle is associated with happiness, with joy. Uh, there's a, several studies that show that people who live a giving lifestyle live longer. A recent article uh, from Time Magazine noted a number of positive effects of giving, lowering the blood pressure, increasing self-esteem, uh, decreasing depression, lowering stress levels, longer life again, greater happiness and satisfaction. Jesus himself said this in the Gospels. He's the originator of, of this belief that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. Uh, literally, the word blessed means happy. You can translate it, it's, it's more happy. It makes you happy to get, more happy to give than to receive. So this is kind of established psychological science, and I was actually kind of surprised as I was doing research this week, if you just type in that statement into Google, you'll see a number of psychological studies, non-Christian studies, that confirm the fact that it's more happy, or it makes you more happy to give than to receive. 
But there's some limits on that, right? You know, when we think about giving and, and how it's more blessed to give than to receive, there's kind of some limits on that. And I think that, you know, we're, most of those studies and articles were written from kind of a Western perspective where we have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of resources. And I think that oftentimes giving becomes kind of a, a hobby rather than a lifestyle. It's like if we go to the grocery store and they ask us to donate our change to the Red Cross or the Boys and Girls Club or whatever that the case may be, maybe it you know, makes us feel good to just donate a little bit of change to someone who's in need. You know, if somebody needs help with something, maybe we have extra time, we just go and help them. But there's limits to that, right? I mean, let's say that you're starving. Let's say you haven't eaten in three days and somebody comes up and gives you a sandwich. I mean, would you really say it's more blessed to receive that sandwich and eat it so that you survive or to give it away to someone else? Or let's say your rent's due. Say you owe $1,000 for rent. You only have $100 in your bank account. Now, would it be more blessed to receive a gift of $900 so you can pay your bill or to give away that $100? I mean, I don't know that we really believe that it's more blessed to give than receive. If, if we really believed that as a culture, you'd go into the store or the mall and people would be coming up to you and saying, hey, I just wanted to give you this. And they'd be giving you really valuable things because if it's more blessed to give than receive, people should be giving but we don't find that. We often find that people are asking. You know, if someone's coming up to you, they're probably trying to sell you something, try to get you to sign up for something. So we don't always recognize the value of giving in our culture. Again, not financial giving, about a lifestyle of helping others. And oftentimes, if we do, it's kind of a contextual thing. Giving is for people who have a lot. If you have a lot of resources, then maybe you can help someone else. If you have a lot of time, maybe you're retired, maybe you can volunteer at a soup kitchen or help someone who needs help moving. If you have a lot of knowledge, maybe you can use that knowledge to help someone else. So it's contextual. It's like if you have a lot, then you can share with those around you. But the thing is, in the Bible, in the biblical conception, giving is not contextual. It's not based upon how little or how much we have. It's about the state of our heart and if we really want to help those around us. In the passage that we're looking at today, Paul talks about this church, the Church of Macedonia. And uh, this church is rather interesting. He describes this church as being in, a, uh, having endured a severe test of affliction and extreme physical poverty. Now, Paul doesn't elaborate on those things. He doesn't describe completely what that means, of what that severe test of affliction was. He doesn't describe their poverty. But just kind of given the context of where they lived, I mean, this was pretty extreme. This was not, okay, I'm going to forego going to Starbucks for a week. This is, I'm having trouble putting food on the table. We're having trouble surviving. And yet in that church, in the church of Macedonia, where there's extreme affliction and extreme poverty, it says that they had an abundance of joy and overwhelming generosity. And they do something that's really surprising. It says in the text that they're literally begging Paul for the opportunity to support his ministry. They're begging him, coming up to him, saying, Paul, I know we don't have a lot, but we really believe in what you're doing, and we want to support you. We don't have much to offer, but this is what we have. I mean, it's an incredible thought that they would have nothing, be in extreme poverty, and yet their arms are open trying to share with the Apostle Paul. Now, what would 
caused them to do that. I think there's only one explanation for this, and that they, that's the, they experienced something so compelling and so revolutionary that it transformed how they viewed everything. And that what they experienced was the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I'm referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel literally means good news. It's the good news of what Jesus has done. That Jesus came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and he rose again. And in the Bible, over and over again, we see the gospel or Jesus associated with riches. In Ephesians 3.8, it says this, To me, though I am very, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why does the gospel described in languages like this as, as riches? It's because it's valuable. It's worthwhile. Now, when you think about people, when people think about coming to Christ or coming to the gospel, sometimes they think, if I come to Christ, then I'm going to have riches. But that's not the point. The point is, Jesus, the gospel, they, they are the riches. He is the treasure. And so when we come to him, it doesn't mean that we're going to be wealthy. It doesn't mean that we, our problems are going to go away. But we come to him and find that he is the treasure. And that when we believe in him and trust in him, it changes everything. Have you ever experienced something in your life that was so monumental in your life, so transformative that in that moment, nothing else really mattered? Maybe it was getting married. Maybe it was a new relationship. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Or negatively, maybe it was losing someone that was close to you. Moments where everything changes in your life and the things that you thought matter don't matter anymore. I remember when I first started dating my wife, uh, I was just so happy to be in a relationship with her that literally like nothing else mattered in that moment. Like if we went out to eat, I would take her anywhere and I would pay way more than I could afford because money didn't matter anymore because I loved her so much. I would drive to her house, stay till like midnight and, and drive home in the cold and the snow and you know, have you know, one eye half open. And I didn't care. It didn't mean anything to me because I loved her. I remember one night um, there was this huge snowstorm. And, you know, I think they were having you know, travel advisories and everything. And I was set to go to, to my, Stephanie's house. Uh, I was about 30 minutes away. So I call her up. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be over in a little bit. And she's like, are you crazy? Like, there's travel advisories. Like, it's not safe to be on the roads. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get there. I'll be fine. And so I was willing to go there and just spend a little bit of time and then have to drive back in the snow just to see her for a few minutes. It's because I was in a relationship with her. It changed everything. The things that I thought mattered didn't matter to me anymore. And that's what happens in our relationship with God. That's what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says this. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The things that he thought matter don't matter anymore. He's willing to, part, to forego all of the things that he's worked his whole life for because he's found something that's incredibly more valuable. Our relationship with God is meant to be like that, so valuable that nothing else comes close. But the only way that we can really get there, the only way that it really becomes value, it valuable is not by giving something, but by first receiving something. We need to receive the gift that God has given us. 
Paul himself puts it in verse 9 in this passage I just read. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There's a man by the name of Ernest Gordon. He wrote a book called the Through the Valley of Kwai. It's an incredible story about a particular Japanese war camp that housed a number of prisoners during World War II. And in this camp where uh, he kind of highlights this man named Angus McGivory. And Angus McGivory lived in this camp that was just brutal. Uh, everyone was just looking out for their own good. They, it, I mean, they were stealing from one another. They were just brutal. Uh, it was so bad that they had to kind of sleep on top of their supplies to make sure somebody wouldn't steal them from under them. And so one day, Angus McGivory died. And after he died, it changed everything. At first, people were wondering what happened because Angus McGivory was a really strong man. They thought if anyone was going to survive, it would be Angus McGivory. But slowly, they began to piece together the picture of what had happened. Angus McGivory was a Scottish uh, soldier, Scottish prisoner in this camp. It was mostly made up of Americans, Australians, and uh, Brits. But there are a few Scottish soldiers and these Scottish soldiers had kind of a buddy system. And so they were kind of responsible for caring for one other person in their group. And they called that other person their, their buddy, their mucker. And so uh, Angus McGivory's mucker got really sick, and everybody kind of gave up on him. He started to get weak. Uh, somebody actually came and stole his blanket from him. And yet Angus McGivory showed up and gave him his blanket and said, Hey, I have an extra blanket. Don't worry about it. I want to make sure that you're warm. What also he did, what he also did was, uh, his his mucker wasn't able to get to to eat, wasn't strong enough, and so Angus McGivory brought his food to him every day, and soon his mucker became stronger. Now Angus McGivory said, "Well, I I got extra food. Don't worry about me." But he was really giving his own food to him. After some time, he ended up dying and. They determined he died from starvation and exhaustion. He had literally given away everything for his friend. And this actually changed everything in the camp. This camp that was once kind of this survival of the fittest where everyone was looking out for themselves, it was completely transformed. Now everyone was looking out for their fellow man. And now they were working together, pooling their resources. They came together and one of the people was a violin maker. One person uh, was an orchestra leader. Another was a cabinet, me- uh, cabinet maker, a professor. And so they put together this group of kind of homemade uh, instruments and had this orchestra. They formed a church. They called it the Church Without Walls. It was so powerful, so compelling, that some of the Japanese guards even came and attended this church. And it was all because Angus McGivory gave everything for his fellow man. One act unleashed the potential of, all, of the whole rest of the camp. In the same way, Jesus gave everything for us. Jesus' sacrifice changes everything. Jesus lived in heaven from all eternity past, and rather than just simply enjoying the glories of heaven, he left his throne room and came to the earth. He was born to common people, Mary and Joseph. He was laid in a manger. He lived, lived a completely sinless life. And yet he was persecuted. Yes, he was suffered. It says in Isaiah that he was a man of sorrows. 
acquainted with grief. Eventually, he went to the cross willingly. He could have called down 10,000 angels. At any moment, he could have been rescued, and yet he willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and then rose again. He gave everything for us, and that sacrifice unleashed a, a movement of love and generosity for those who followed him. Giving starts with God. The most famous verse in all the Bible says, John, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that what he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Jesus has given everything for us. And the thing is, we can't give unless we've already received. We can't give what we don't have. And some of us, we've never experienced the love of Christ. We don't have the love of God in our hearts. And here's the thing, if we're like that, we try to give. We try to do some good deeds to those around us. We try to maybe forgive someone who's harmed us. And we do the best we can, but we're kind of empty inside because we don't have the love of God that's poured out in our hearts. Then others of us who are believers, we're believers, but we're not really connected to the source. Maybe we've kind of neglected our relationship with God. Maybe we're just kind of trying to do life in our own strength. We're trying to do the right things, and, and we do. You know, we maybe forgive someone who's harmed us. Maybe we help someone who's poor. Maybe we do a number of different things to help those around us. But here's the thing. We pour ourselves out, and we're empty. We're doing the right things, but we're disconnected from the source, and so we end up feeling empty. But Jesus' intention is that the Holy Spirit would live inside of us so that literally the love of Christ would flow out from us. It's just like this last picture. You could take as much water as you want out of that picture. There's an everlasting flow filling it up. And that's what would cause uh, someone like the, the, the church at Macedonia. That's what would cause them to literally give of their resources when they had nothing, when they needed everything to survive. That's what would cause people uh, to leave their homelands and go to a foreign mission field because they were so full of the love of God that nothing else mattered. And they knew they could give away anything. They knew that they could sacrifice anything and that Jesus would just fill them up. And then the life to come repay all their good deeds. But do we access that power? Do we access that living water? Uh, in the classic film, uh, French film, Jane de, de Florette, Townspeople in a small village in Provence, France, conspire against a local landowner, and they want his, his farm to fail. And so what they do is they sneak onto his property, and they plug up the well that's on his property. Now, he didn't even know that there was a well on his property, and there's not much rain in that region. And so rather than accessing that well that's right beneath the surface, he only knows about a well that's farther away. He tries to sustain his farm for a while, and he walks miles to that other well to bring it back to water his crops. But in the course of time, his, his farm fails. It fails because he doesn't know that there's water right beneath the surface. There's water, nourishment right where he's at. See, if we want to live a life that's meaningful, we need to know not first how to give, but how to receive. We need to know where to find life. And the only reason we can give is because 
of what Christ has given for us. You can't give what you don't have. You can't live a life of meaningful service. You can't experience that joy that we talked about unless you've been filled with the love of God. 1 John 4.10 says this, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Some of us here today, we don't have a relationship with Christ, and if we're honest with ourselves, our hearts feel kind of empty. Maybe we've tried to fill that hole in our hearts with a number of things. Maybe we've tried to fill it with possessions. But the more we have, the more dissatisfied we become. Maybe we tried to fill it with a relationship, and we thought this relationship would be the thing that kind of pushed us over the edge and made us happy. But it's just not what we thought it was going to be. Maybe we try to fill that hole with good deeds, and we do a lot of good things. We help those around us, but there's still this gnawing emptiness inside of us. We need the love of Christ. We need to see the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. We need to experience his love. We need to know that he loves us. We need to believe and hold on to that love. A few years ago, there was a great tragedy uh, in China. There were a number of uh, apartment buildings that collapsed. These apartment buildings housed a number of migrant workers who had moved from kind of a rural agrarian lifestyle to the city uh, to work in factories. So a number of people died. There were four buildings that collapsed, and rescue crews were searching for hours. And after about 12 hours, right when at the point where they're about to give up looking for survivors, they found one last survivor. And it was interesting what they found. They, found, they, they pulled up this uh, cement cylinder, and beneath the c- cement cylinder was this man, and he was kind of hunched over, and it was clear that he had died. But underneath him was his three-year-old daughter. And when he knew the building was collapsed, he, he huddled over his daughter and took the blow for her so that she would survive. One worker who recounted it said this, the child was able to survive entirely thanks to the fact that her dad used his own flesh and blood to prop up a life-saving space for his daughter. That's a picture of what Jesus did for us. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's kind of a tragedy that's coming for all of us if nothing else changes. But Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He took our punishment. He took our payment, the payment that we deserved, so that we could experience life with him. Sometimes when we think about the Christian life, people think about becoming Christians. Think, if I come to Christ, it's going to mean that my life becomes boring, or that Christ wants to take my joy. But that's nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus said this, The thief, the enemy, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. God wants us to experience the good life. He wants us to be happy in him. So happy that we're overflowing with generosity, overflowing with his love to those around us. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. And this woman has kind of tried everything to satisfy the hole in her heart, and she still is empty. She's had five husbands, and the person she's currently with uh, is not her husband, and she's kind of going from person to person, thinking that something's going to satisfy the hole in her heart. And Jesus looks at her and has compassion on her, and he says this, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the water of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We don't have to be empty. God wants us to live lives of purpose and meaning and joy in him. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, I do feel that emptiness in my heart. And maybe you'd say, I, I want to be filled with the love of Christ. How do you do that? The Bible says the way that we access that is through faith and repentance. Repentance means turning from the direction that we're going, that we're going one way, living our lives on our own, following our own direction, and we turn and we put our faith and say, I want to live life in relationship with you. The, the best illustration I can think of is the illustration of marriage. Let's say you're marrying somebody, and in that moment when you're saying I do, you're repenting in a sense. You're turning from the single lifestyle saying, I don't want to live as a single person anymore. I want to live in relationship with you. And what you're saying is, as much as I know about this person, I'm committing all of me to all of them until death do us part. That's what a relationship with Christ is like. It's, I don't want to do life on my own anymore. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to do it your way. And I believe that you died for me. When you do that, Christ comes into your life. He gives us the Holy Spirit. You might not notice a change immediately, but if you're sincere, the changes will come. If you'd like, lad, and like to enter into a relationship with Christ in just a few minutes, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. Others of us were believers, and we're doing good things, but we're just kind of running on empty. I love the quote by uh, Pastor John Piper. He said this, love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others, that our love, our giving, our service, our helping of those around us can only be sustained by the love that God puts in our hearts. Some of us believers, we're running on empty because we've become distracted. We've tried to do it in our own strength. Maybe, think we, maybe we think we have this Christian life figured out. We're not spending time with him. We're not relying on him. We're not obeying him. And if that's the case, we're just going to pour ourselves out, but we're going to be empty. We need to run to the source of life. Ladies and gentlemen, let's find refreshment at the fount of living water. We are encountering a world that's in great need. There's so many needs around us. There's poverty. There's injustice. There's so many things where the people of God are needed. But we can't meet those needs. We can't be giving people unless we're filled with the love of Christ. And so we need to drink deep from the waters of Christ. In closing, I'd like to read this. Jesus said this, John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, and if you're honest, you feel an emptiness in your soul. Maybe you've tried to do good things. Maybe you've thought that if you're generally a good person, you'd make it to heaven. But you want a relationship with Christ. I'd invite you to just say a prayer like this, just silently in your heart to God. The words aren't as important as the expression of your heart. Say something like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short of your glory. 
I don't want to do life on my own anymore. I don't want to try to fill the hole in my heart any longer. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, come into my life and transform me. Give me that living water. Satisfy me so that I might be a service to those around me. Jesus, I thank you for your love for me. And I trust in your grace. In Jesus' name. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, you paid the ultimate penalty for us. That giving starts with you. love that